In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. I guess in life's journey, we've all experienced doubt. Perhaps there's somebody in church who, on the night before they were to be married, wondered, what am I doing here? And that little fear, that little doubt enters into the mind. But 99.9% still present themselves at the altar next day. Doubt is very protective because doubt leads us to work our way through things and we should never dismiss it. That is positive doubt. Negative doubt that goes around in our minds for 25 years and we never resolve it is very destructive. And many people's lives are dominated by their doubt. Now we've just experienced that wonderful two weeks of Easter with the highs and the lows, the tears and the joy. And yet it's a saga that's surrounded by doubt. Now we only remember poor old Doubting Thomas. You probably heard that term, you're a Doubting Thomas. This is where it comes from. Doubting Thomas was one guy who said, you know, unless I put my fingers in his hand and my hand in his side, no way am I going to believe. But let us just have a quick look back over the events of the last two weeks. The disciples followed Jesus, walked with him, listening for three years. And yet, in those last weeks, they doubted. And they responded by deserting him. Peter, closest friend, walked with him again, listened to him, and yet, when there was the slightest idea of threat, he denied him. The mysterious Judas Iscariot, of course, betrayed him. And even on the first resurrection appearances, when Peter and John went down to the grave, and they left, saying they believed, but they returned to their own homes. It was Thomas who, after the disciples had actually seen Jesus and seen the marks of crucifixion, was not there. And he was the one who said, no way, I don't believe, unless I put my hand in his side and put my fingers in his hands. And can you imagine Thomas in the upper room? Jesus comes into their presence and he says, Thomas, I want to, have a, I want to see you. Come over here. Put your fingers here. Put your hand here. And then the doubt dissolves. He works his way through it. And Thomas is the first disciple, the first person to acknowledge Jesus both as Lord and God. My Lord and my God. The doubt is resolved. He's now totally committed. And I've got quite a lot of Indian friends now and they boast so much about St Thomas because nearly every second church in India is called St Thomas's Church because by tradition they believe that he went all the way through to India and actually established the Christian church through that great continent. So doubt turned to complete faith. I want to look at the resurrection appearances because 
the resurrection is being challenged by so many people. Even theologians are questioning. But what's it about? What was the purpose of the resurrection? And why is our Christian faith so unique and so different? First of all, we'll go to Mary in the garden. The tomb is empty. She believes the body is stolen. And then a stranger appears. And it says in the Gospel, she believed it to be the gardener. They enter into conversation and the stranger simply says, Mary. And instantly she knows it is Jesus. No recognition, but by voice and voice alone. And so she returns to the disciples and I've seen the Lord. And one of the Gospels, they, they think she's so distraught, she doesn't know what she's talking about. Now let us go to the Emmaus Road. A long walk, seven kilometres, seven miles, whatever it was. Talking to two of the disciples, heads down, hands behind their back, feeling thoroughly miserable, having attended the funeral of the person they loved so dearly. They had so many expectations of. He was going to change and transform the world. And he's dead and buried. End of story. And the stranger talks to them. And he shares the story. And then when they get to their destination, they invite the stranger to share a meal with them. At the end of the meal, he takes bread and breaks it. And then he blesses the cup. And instead they say, it is the Lord. And he's no longer in their midst. They didn't recognise him. Had no idea that it was the resurrected Jesus. We go to the seashore. They're trying to catch fish. Now the disciples are back fishing. They're back fishing, doing what they were doing before they met Jesus three years previously. And a stranger stands on the shore and simply says, they caught no fish, another bad night for them, lower the net on the other side. And Peter, they enshoal a great shoal of fish, 153 in all, and Peter says, it's the Lord. It's the Lord. Because it was an exact repeat of what happened three years prior when they'd caught no fish. Absolutely no recognition at all of the physical appearance of Jesus. And that's the mystery of how Jesus operated. Imagine a very different scenario Jesus goes to Caiaphas and says, told you you were wrong. Or to Pontius Pilate. Or to those that are nailed him to the cross. Those who never believed in him in his life. Jesus only appeared to those who believed on him while he walked the face of the earth. He was only recognised by repeating his actions 
in the breaking of bread or the shoal of fish or in the recognition of his voice. He only appeared to those who loved him. And nothing has changed. Nothing has changed. The words of Jesus. When, when Thomas says, my Lord and my God, Jesus responds, Thomas, you have believed because you have seen. More blessed are those who believe without seeing. And Jesus Christ says to you this morning, you are richly blessed because you have believed without seeing. You haven't asked for proof, but through faith you have come to worship him, to receive the sacrament, because you have believed without seeing. And so Jesus blesses us. And what's the greatest gift he has to offer us as we stand together this morning? And the word was used, I think, four times in the gospel. Peace. Peace. I give you my peace. The peace of God that passes under all understanding. And what greater gift is there in life than to have that sense of peace, that sense of well-being, that sense of confidence that it's all going to be worked out. We have no need for anxiety or fear. And I think I've shared with you on many occasions, the opposite of peace is not war. The opposite of peace is fear. We can never live in peace when we are afraid. And so the peace of God that takes away all understanding also takes away all fear in life because there's nothing left to worry about. We're on a journey. We're on a journey of faith. But we do recognise there is bumps in the road in the journey of faith. There are detours as we go down that road of faith. And I've been down a couple. Real, painful, and yet there's always the pathway to come back to. And so we are on that road of faith. What is our responsibility as we come today? What is yours and my responsibilities to our risen Lord? And that is, I believe, to do our very best to live the life he lived, to set the example he set, to have the attitude he had and look through the world through his eyes. And I'm sure it will be a very different world than the world that the average person looks at his brother or his sister or whoever. The one thing this world needs is the compassion, the love, the encouragement of Jesus. 
I mean, when you read the Gospels over and over and over again, his ability to have compassion, his ability to be able to forgive. And I think of all the events of the last two weeks in our Christian journey, the thing that always is in my mind is Jesus' words from the cross when at the moment of crucifixion he says, Father, forgive them for they do not understand what they are doing. And then when he talks to the two people crucified with him, one just insults him, the other says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus says to him, today, this very day, You'll be with me in paradise. What a fantastic thing to say to a dying man alongside him. And what a comfort to us. You see, we're on a journey of faith. Nobody, nobody forced you to come to church this morning. You opened your eyes, looked at the morning and made a conscious decision to be here. And that is why the Christian faith is so unique from all the other religions of the world. Christianity is not a religion but a faith. In a God and in a Saviour, we have not seen, but we've experienced. You see, we experience the Christian faith and what we say and what we do and those that surround us. Once upon a time, you learned the catechism. If you were in my generation, you had a 16-page catechism. And when you could recite that, you were fit for the bishop to lay hands on you. And that was it. Perhaps a place for it, but that's not faith. That's religion, my friends. That's religion. It's faith that have brought you, you in this church today. So let us just pause and reflect upon the life, the work and the example of our Lord Jesus Christ and pray for the courage to walk in his footsteps, to set the example he set. And during this beautiful day, perhaps there's somebody you might like to make contact with Somebody that comes up in your mind regularly needs a word of encouragement. Somebody is travelling a bit rough and do what Jesus would have done, make contact with them and share his love with them so the world may truly be the place that God wants us to be, all living together as one family under his sovereignty.